And so the, I'm here for the next two weeks is the rumor. Um, and so, so I'll be here next Sunday as well. And so uh, I have the great honor um, for the next two weeks to bring you the bad news and the good news. Uh, the bad news that, that you're more sinful, um, so sinful that Jesus had to left, leave heaven for you. And the good news is that you're so loved and adored that Jesus had to leave heaven for you. And so this morning we're going to look at, uh, we're going to continue through Philippians. Uh, Philippians, uh, we're going to look at chapters, uh, chapter 3, verses 17 uh, through the first verse of chapter 4. Um, and just to remind you, we've been looking at this letter of Philippians with this whole theme of, of the gospel together. Uh, and to me, this is a very interesting letter, very um, it's an interesting paradox here. Um, to me, it's interesting you got Paul here, this apostle, who's writing this great letter about joy and about community uh, in the midst of him writing it in a jail cell. Um, he, he has something there. Uh, if he can be in the middle of a jail cell and write about joy and community and fellowship and to give us this vision. And so this morning, I hope we catch this vision um, that uh, I think Paul is showing us that in the midst of a, a world... Um, that is in bondage, a world that is in a, in a sense of spiritual jail cell, waiting and groaning for this day of redemption, um, we could have joy. Uh, so if you would, listen to God's word, Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 um, through the first verse of chapter 4. Paul says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is, in their, is, is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is God's word and it's given to us for our good. Let's pray. Uh, dear gracious Father, we just thank you that you are a God who is with us and for us, a God uh, who, is, uh, who loves us and adores us, a God who has made all things, a God who sustains all things, and a God who will come and make all things right. And I pray this morning as we look at this, this passage and this letter that we would be reminded uh, of the vision that Paul had of your glorious return, uh, that we can have this perspective um, um, of you coming and making all things right. As we wait for that, that we wait in an active sense, in a real sense, as we lean forward for your day of coming. And we just pray all this in your great and wonderful name. Amen. Uh, me and my wife, Nikki, um, have, we have been trapped in this vortex called Downton Abbey. Uh, if you don't know Downton Abbey, it's this uh, PBS TV show uh, based in like the 19, early 1900s in England. Uh, to me, it re it's like 90210, but rich English people way back in the day. Um, but we've been set in this vortex, and there's this interesting reality. There's this like a, 
kind of this set of a upstairs downstairs reality that um, we have these servants that live downstairs, um, and then there's this other part of the show, these of the, the rich family that lives upstairs, um, and you kind of see the difference between these two and how they live their lives. Um, but the interesting thing is that the people who live downstairs are servants, um, and the people that live upstairs, it, it's kind of interesting. They they almost you can tell that they all the people the servants. Uh, can, you can see them imagine how it would be like to live as the people who are upstairs. And the people who are upstairs almost are curious about what it would like to be a servant. Uh, even a couple of the children, um, you know, date one of the help um, and marry him. Um, it's very kind of interesting. Um, but it kind of offers this question of, of what is the better life, this upstairs or this downstairs reality? Um, and in some sense, you have these these two groups of people, but the interesting part, that what binds them together is that they're both English. Uh, they're both proud of them being British, um, and they live as citizens of England. Um, and in some sense, we see this in this passage, that Paul is showing us of this, these two people that in some sense have this upstairs, downstairs mindset. Um, but through this letter, what in this passage, what Paul's going to do, what he's going to remind us, encourage his, his people is that we have a true citizenship, a citizenship in heaven. Um, and so Philippi um, is a very unique place um, in the Roman first century world. Um, it was in probably in what we know, know Greece, um, in ancient Greece, but it was a Roman city. Um, there was this battle in 42 BC um, where the, the city of Philippi became Roman. And again, what Paul's going to do in this passage is that it's, he's going to give us these two groups of people who have two perspectives, and they also have two different destinations. Um, and so we're going to look at these, these two groups of people uh, with these two perspectives um, with these two different destinations. That We'll see that one, one group will end in destruction, and the other group will end in glorification and transformation. And the key for Paul's day, for this early church, is to have the right perspective. And for us today, the key for us is to have the right perspective. And so Paul's going to remind us that we need to be reminded that we are true citizens of heaven and that we need to live and stand firm with that perspective. So the first thing that we're going to see is that Paul calls the Philippians and he calls us for us to live as citizens of heavens, is that we're gonna, we need to notice who, uh, who we're walking with. Uh, listen to verses 17 through 19 again. It said, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the, Christ, of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. And so the first thing that Paul does here in this little, this little section of his letter is that he, he encourages us to walk in good company. Again, look at verse 17, that Paul um, gives this interesting command, this interesting suggestion to, to join in imitating me as you live out the Christian life. Um, at first glance, it, it seems that Paul probably needs to work on his, um, 
uh, the whole thing about being humble. Um, you know, at first glance, it seems pretty um, self-building um, up that he's saying, come and imitate me. Um, but if you know Paul, uh, he's one that points his attention elsewhere. Um, first, he reminds us in, in first, um, first Timothy that he is the chief of sinners. He's the foremost. He is the one who needs Christ the most. Uh, and then in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so what Paul's doing here is that he's encouraging the Philippians and he's encouraging us is that we need to walk in good company. We need to walk uh, with people uh, who have walked this story before. Um, um, in the Old Testament, um, the word walk was often used as a description with a, uh, with a relationship with God. Uh, we see this in Genesis 5.25 where Enoch walked with God. And Noah uh, in Genesis 6.9 was described as that he was one who walked with God. And we see this in Abraham in 17 and Israel in 28. Um, and even the prophet Isaiah in, in 33.15. And even the psalmist in uh, 86.11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord and I will walk in your truth. And if we take this honest look at the scriptures, um, that what we see as we look from cover to cover is this reality that God is saving a people for himself. And what Paul is doing here in this little section is encouraging us to get caught up in that story. Uh, as Paul has, has lived this life of, of imitating Christ, uh, we saw in Philippians 2 this picture of what it might look like to imitate Christ, that we, we see Jesus as one of a servant, uh, one that did not take equality with God, something to be grasped, but came down and humbled himself uh, and took, uh, took on um, one of a servant. And then he encouraged us to do the same. And we see Paul, that's exactly what he does. Uh, he's a servant of Christ. He is imitating Christ, and he's encouraging us to join in that story, to, to imitate him as well. Um, in other words, what Paul is saying is, you know, kind of what, what my mom and dad told me when I went off to middle school, you know, make sure you hang out with the right people, um, you know, because whoever you're associated with is, could be good news or it could be bad news. And that's in a sense what Paul's doing here is that he is, he's encouraging the Philippians to make sure that you are in good company. And he says that in verse 17. Um, and what Paul, again, is showing us is, is the very importance of the church, of community, uh, to be involved. Um, in other words, I think Paul's teaching us that, that Christianity is not just taught, it's caught. Uh, is that we need to be around uh, Christian people. Uh, people who are struggling through life together, people who are, um, who have their eyes um, on the cross and not themselves. Um, you know, I do campus ministry uh, with college students, and this is, this is, in some sense, the heart of our ministry is that we want college students to fall in love with Jesus, to fall in love with his word, as well as fall in love with the bride of Christ, the church. Uh, and so that's a huge part of our ministry is for, for students to get involved in local churches. Uh, to, to rub elbows with people who've, who went through college and now have a job and now are having kids, that they, they see the good company and the wisdom that's there before them and for them to get caught up uh, in doing life together. Um, and so a couple of questions for you this morning is this. Is, 
are you engaged with a Christian community? Um, you know, seem, might seem like a weird question since we're all at church, and um, but but Paul's bringing up this to the attention to the, the church in Philippi, um, and he's encouraging us to be engaged, not just come on a Sunday morning, um, but to be engaged. So again, are you engaged with a Christian community? Um, you know, a small group. Um, drinking coffee with a buddy who is a fellow Christian, reading the Word. Um, uh, do you have people uh, in this church speaking the gospel in your life? Um, uh, and are you speaking the gospel in someone else's life? Um, uh, this one reason I love uh, going to church on Sunday um, is because it's a great reminder to me that I'm not doing life together. Uh, that we are, we're in this thing together. I, I think it's vitally important that we, uh, like we did this morning, uh, we confessed our sins together, uh, out loud and together, because we're declaring to each other that none of us in this room are perfect. And then later on, we actually declare together that we all believe the same thing, um, that we believe in this maker of heaven and earth, and that he, he came and redeemed and saved us and that we believe in the very forgiveness of sins. Um, and I think that's important. I think we, we live in a world that uh, we forget, we can forget those things quickly. Um, and I think God's a pretty smart guy. I, I think he created the church uh, for a good reason to remind us uh, that we're not doing life together, uh, that we are we're actually doing it uh, together. Um, so the first thing that Paul encourages here is that uh, we need to walk in good company. Uh, and second, um, he encourages that we should not walk in bad company. Um, um, listen to verses 18 through 19. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Um, just aside, um, your pastors um, care deeply for you. Um, 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 I would assume, I, you know, I have the benefit that I'm your guest preacher, but I also know those, your pastors, Chuck and the, um, those other guys well, they all care for you. Uh, know that. Be reminded of that. As Paul writes this letter, as he even re says it in tears, I, would, I know there's times where your pastors tear up for you as well. Um, but Paul says here, for, for many whom I have often told you, and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the, Christ, the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and the glory is in their shame, with their minds set on earthly things. Again, Paul stressing that we need to hang out um, kind of with the right people with the right perspective. Um, uh, and Paul is doing this here in this letter, and he's, and we can see the seriousness of this warning here that Paul gives us because the end here is destruction. Um, you know, if you don't have the right perspective, it's not going to end well for you, is what Paul is saying. Um, and, and this kind of group here that Paul's referring to, where it seems that we're not quite sure who they were, who, what they really taught. But it seems that they're very self-centered and not Christ-centered, that they walked as enemies of the cross. Um, and the second thing, it seems like it's interesting that 
they're probably people who are within the church um, that Paul's given this warning to. Um, that there are people in your midst. Um, you think they're friends, but what they are are actually enemies of the cross. So be careful. Um, and we need to hear this warning from Paul more than ever. Uh, we live in a culture that loves to imitate, loves to copy. Um, um, and we need to make sure that we are walking as imitators of Christ and not enemies of the cross. We need to make sure that we look like, look like Christ. Uh, again, back to Philippians 2 as we look at this whole letter as a whole. Uh, that Paul encourages us to, to be a servant and to have Christ as our, our model, our example, that he is our Savior, that he is the one who... Again, the good news, that he loved us so much that he did not take the equality of God as something to be grasped, but he, he took on the very nature of human. He became part of his creation, um, and he comes down to be with us. Um, one of my favorite uh, kind of narrative stories of that, that whole picture there in Philippians 2 is, I think, John 13, where Jesus washes where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Uh, if you read that narrative, it's, it's quite interesting where Jesus says, um, Jesus, knew that all the fa- has, Jesus knew that the Father has handed all things to him. So here's Jesus, who's about to be hung on a cross and, and rose again and go to the right hand of the Father, and, and he knew that the Father has handed him all things. And the next verse says that he took out the arm, his outer garment, got on his knees, and started washing the disciples' feet. For us to write with, for us to walk in the right perspectives is huge, and we need to look to Christ. Um, so we see that Paul wants us to walk in good company, not bad company. Um, and the second thing here that Paul wants us, as he calls the Philippians, uh, to live as citizens to, of heaven is is to encourage them and to remind them that they're waiting for their true home. Um, Listen to verses 20 and 21. It says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body and be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Again, here Paul's reminding the Philippians, and he's even reminding us, for us to have the right perspective, we need to understand where our citizenship is. Um, and again, Paul here is stressing citizenship. All through the letter of Philippians, he's, he's done this. Uh, we see it in chapter 1 and 2. And the people of Philippians, the, Philipp- the Philippians would really get this. Um, again, kind of mentioned at the very beginning, um, the Philippi, this whole city, was a very weird place. Um, it was in the middle of Greece, um, but because of this war in 42 B.C., it, it was, in a sense, Roman. Um, the people who lived there were Roman citizens. They, they dressed Roman. They talked Roman. They had Roman jobs. Um, and they even knew, even though they were in, in Greece, they could call out to their, their Caesar, and he would come and rescue them. Um, and so here, Paul gives them all that same language and reminds them that your citizenship is not here in Philippi, but one place even greater, in heaven. And actually, in heaven, you actually have a better Caesar. You have a Savior named Jesus, the one who has come and that we read in Genesis 1, who has made all things. 
who's made everything, that you look from sea to sea and mountain to mountain, that Jesus has made all things. And that same Savior, the one that we read in Colossians 1, who is holding all things together on your good days and your bad days. The same one who made all things is the same one who's holding all things. And that same Jesus, that same Savior that we read in Revelation 21, and the one that he's alluding here, that will come and make all things right. We don't have a Caesar that will come and fix things, but we have a Savior who will come and restore things. And so Paul is encouraging us to have this right perspective, to live as citizens of heaven. Just like here in Philippi, they act Roman. They wanted the Roman life there in Philippi. And what Paul's encouraging the Philippians and he's encouraging us to do is for us to live the heaven life, is to bring heaven here on earth, to speak heavenly, to dress heavenly, to love our neighbors heavenly, to understand that we live in a different, uh, a different place, that our citizenship is somewhere else. And another thing that Paul does here is that he encourages us to wait for a Savior. Um, and I think the language here is wait in an active sense. Um, it's not waiting like you're waiting for the school bus, um, but you're waiting with this leaning forward of the one who will come and make all things right. And how you view that, how you view the very second coming of Jesus, of Jesus coming and making all things right, will radically change how you live your life. Um, listen to these words um, from a guy named C.S. Lewis. Um, he says this, um, as talking about looking forward uh, to heaven and to the internal world, he says this, this means that our continually looking forward to the internal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things that a Christian is meant to do it is not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were, ju were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot uh, the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the, the Middle Ages, the English evangelists who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so inefficient in this, ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. So Paul is encouraging us to make much of heaven. Make much of this world to come where Jesus will come and transform all things. And he will start with your bodies and he will go to the ends of the earth to make all things new. So Paul is encouraging us to, to have this right perspective of a Savior who will come, that we're waiting, we're longing for that day, and not in a sense that we're 
sitting on our lazy boys and, and waiting, but we're actually leaning forward that we, we're, we're getting active. Uh, we, we actually, we can taste heaven and how good it is and that we want others to taste that same good news. Um, and so, so Paul, and again, is encouraging us and reminding us of our true citizenship, that our citizenship is in heaven. And we have, a, we have a guy named Jesus who's not just a Caesar but a Savior who will come and make all things right. Um, and that leads us to our last verse um, in chapter 4, verse 1, uh, where he encourages us, since we're in good company and since we have the citizenship in heaven, we can stand firm in this world. Um, again, a guy who's in prison. Uh, who might be awaiting his death, his, his, his death day. Um, he can say this. Um, verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul is reminding the Philippians, since you are a citizen of heaven, and since you have the Savior who is going to come and make all things right, no matter, no matter how messed up this world is or your house or your job or your family, that you can stand firm. It's great comfort. That we're able to stand with confidence because we have someone greater than the U.S. military. We have someone greater than a Roman Caesar. We have a Savior. And he has declared us to be part of his people. Um, so this morning, I hope that you see that we are a community, uh, that, we are, that God has called us to, to live life together, uh, to be citizens of heaven on earth, um, that we're part of a, a better kingdom, the um, one who came and lived that life, that one Jesus who came and, and died and rose again, and the one who is now seated at the right hand, who is our ultimate prophet, priest, and king, who's ruling and defending us, who will one day come and make all things right. And because of that, we can, we can stand firm, and we can wait with a lean and sing songs like this, um, one of my favorites. It says this, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand, I cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. All those wide extended plains shines one eternal day. There God the sun forever reigns and scatters night away. No ch chilling winds, no poisonous breath can reach that helpful shore. Sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. When shall I reach that happy place and be forever blessed? When shall I see my Father's face and in his bosom rest? I am bound. I am bound. I am bound for a promised land. So let's be people who lean, who wait for this day where our God comes and makes all things right, 
where sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. And because that is the truth, and because that is the reality, we can stand firm, we can stand confidence, um, and we can stand with good company, the people who have gone before us. Um, And we can stand with Jesus, who is our brother, who is our prophet, who is our priest and our king, and our Savior, who will come and redeem us and restore us, who will transform our lowly bodies into his glorious body, and that we are in him, we are with him, and so that we can stand firm. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, we thank you that you are a God who is with us, a God who is for us, a God who, is, who has come to redeem and to restore us and to redeem and restore our perspectives of life. Um, again, I pray for this community, I pray for Christchurch, uh, that we would be people of good company, that we'd be people who would speak the gospel. Since you have speaking the gospel into our hearts and to our souls, we would be people who would speak the gospel to one another, uh, that we would speak truth, and people would speak truth in our lives. And I pray that we would be people that would, we would await, that we would lean for this day, for you to come and make all things right, for you to come and restore all things. And because we make much of the world to come, we would make much of this world today. Uh, That we would preach the gospel, the good news to the world, to our neighbors, to our friends, and even to our enemies. Because you have come to make us friends of the cross so that we wouldn't be enemies of it. That you have come to restore us and redeem us Uh, And I pray that that would radically change how we live our lives. And we pray all this in your great and wonderful name. Amen.